This podcast is a production of WCWP, LIU Post Public Radio. Check out our lineup of original programs, listen live, or support by visiting WCWP.org. This is Review and Preview on WCWPSports.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Review and Preview. I am your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside the returning Greg Vavernick here tonight, Kyle Russo joining us in the studio again, Jason Glickman on the board, and our once-a-month fill-in engineer, Jay Wass, John Wasserman. And folks, quick reminder, you can call in with your thoughts, questions, comments to our blockbuster show tonight at our call-in number 516-299-2030. No Tommy the Mac McNamara tonight, guys. He plans on calling in at some point, and we are now podcasting. This is our second straight week of podcasting. You can listen to our podcast. They will be up preferably around tomorrow at this time on Pine on Pinecast, Apple Podcasts, slash iTunes, Google Play, and Pocket Casts. So we look forward to you listening to our podcast as well. No Facebook Live tonight, but let's get right into it. Major League Baseball opening day is one week from today. Guys, didn't it feel like the World Series just ended? Uh, Yeah. Um, I've been waiting for opening day for the longest time, especially now that I know that I am going. I can't wait for games to actually start counting. And, Greg, you're actually going to the Mets game next Thursday on opening day, like you said. Uh, Correct. You know, I've never been to an opening day. Is this your first one? This is going to be my second. Oh, wow. The first one that I went to was back in 2005 when the Mets took on the Houston Astros back when they were a National League team. Now, speaking of the Mets, they will open up against the St. Louis Cardinals at home mm-hmm. on March 29th. And breaking news, uh, Rafael Montero has a UCL tear. This just in. So... Greg and Kyle, how do you think this will affect the Mets pitching staff and their bullpen come opening day? It will not really affect them at all because I thought Montero would be in AAA anyway. Um, I am not a big Rafael Montero fan. It's always unfortunate when a guy gets a season and an injury before the season even starts, but you know I'm not a Montero fan, and honestly, he was just more of a long relief depth that the Mets really didn't have too much of a concern with just because... They're already going to have two guys, and Robert Kesselman and Seth Lugo, to potentially fill that spot in anyway. And they're better than Montero, anyway. As a right. side note, so it won't affect the Mets too much. It's really just hurts their depth by one pitcher, and it's not a huge loss. Yeah, on top of what uh, Greg said, he uh, started 18 games for them uh, last season, accumulated 114 strikeouts, had a uh, 5.52 ERA, won five games, lost 11. He's an okay pitcher for them, but just like Greg said, with the depth that they had at Lugo and Gazelman, it's not that big of a deal. Not a big deal until everybody gets hurt again. Exactly. You know, you know exactly. <laughs> um, speaking of the Mets, their rotation, you have Syndergaard, DeGrom, Harvey, Vargas, and then the fifth one, is it Wheel or is it Lugo? Has, has there been a uh, final verdict on that yet, or are they still deciding? I think it really they're letting the, um, the rest of spring training play it out. I think it's going to be... Wheeler, for the time being, to just fill in the void for Vargas until he gets back. Mm-hmm. It's really going to be like the five horsemen that the Met fans wanted to see for the last couple of years, where it's Syndergaard, DeGrom, uh, Wheeler, Mats, 
and Harvey. And Harvey. So those were the five a couple of years ago. Those were the five starters everybody wanted to see, but injuries always got in the way. I think this is the first time where we could actually see it, and right. hopefully, the Met it works out for the. Hopefully, it works out for the Mets. So, I mean, we have to see what happens. But overall, I think that the last spot is Wheeler's to lose personally, and. Um, that is referred to as the dream rotation for the Mets. Now, Kyle, I've got to say, we talked about the rotation, yeah. but in terms of the final roster, you know, there's a lot of guys on the bubble for the Mets and who may make that final roster. Not as many as the Yankees, but who do you think a lot of, uh, if you had to name one or two on the bubble guys, who might make the Mets final roster? Uh, Tom, I really, I really don't know because it all comes down to injury. I mean, the the Mets throughout this uh, training camp, they've had a ton of in- injuries to their starters already. Whether mm-hmm. it was Cespedes, uh, Degrom, Swarzak, now Montero. I mean, it all depends on who's healthy. Yeah. At at the beginning of opening day. And don't be surprised if you see Nimmo starting on opening day. It could happen. You know, uh, obviously Conforto uh, not slated to return until May, at least, uh, the hope and the wish, the best-case scenario would be May 1st, I believe. And, you know, you're looking at it. In all likelihood, it'll be Bruce, Cespedes, and Nimmo. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds as well, Greg. I think that's perfectly fine with me because, really, it's been a battle between Lagaris and Nimmo for, you know, who's going to play center field until Conforto comes back. And I think Nimmo deserves yeah. it because... Juan Lagares has had an awful spring training, and then again, this is spring training. The regular season could be a completely different story, but Brandon Nemo has played his rear end off oh, most throughout certain. the spring. Throughout the spring, he's had a great average. He's hit a couple of home runs. He's driven the ball to all fields. He's looked great this spring. I think the fact that the Mets turned down the trade for McCutcheon earlier in the offseason, I think that lit a little bit of a fire for Brandon Nimmo. Yeah. And it showed that the amount of trust that the organization truly has in him. And I think that he's really showing that he cares about the team and he wants to earn the playing time. And he's been doing it in spring. So I think it's Nimmo's job to lose in center field. And across the infield, guys, it's looking like um, it'll be Adrian Gonzalez at first on opening day and Todd Frazier at third. So two older veterans. And then in the middle... Some combination of Cabrera, Flores, Rosario, I would assume. Um, Cabrera's projected to start at second? Uh, yeah, the, and then Rosario at shortstop. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, the starting infield is basically set already. It's The usual starting group you always see is Frazier, like left to right. You go Frazier, Rosario, Cabrera, and then Adrian Gonzalez. Dom Smith has had a lot of injuries, so he's probably going to be sent down or be put on the bench to start the year. So and just when they brought when the Mets brought in Adrian Gonzalez, it really was a sign that he that the trust isn't there yet for Dominic Smith because when he was brought up last year toward the tail end of the regular season, you saw that Smith had a lot of struggles. He still got a lot of kinks to work out, yeah. and really there's still a lot more work to be done with Dom Smith. And I think Adrian Gonzalez could be serviceable. Never was a big fan of the move. Mm-hmm. Because he's getting older, he's a shell of what he used to be. Right. So you just have to see what happens with him. Yeah. There's really I don't have any expectations for Gonzalez as long as he could just do a decent job and hope Dom Smith, you know, develops quickly and very well. And you might see Jay Bruce maybe playing some first base this year. We'll see. Um, as opening day is just a week away for the New York Mets, who finished last year seventy and ninety-two. Uh, 
a lot of that, what was supposed to be their strength last year, all of a sudden became their weakness, which was their pitching. Um, and, you know, trading Bruce at the deadline, I think getting him back was big. Uh, signing Vargas in the offseason, definitely not a bad move. You like to have a solidified veteran on your staff in addition to that young talent. And I think this is really the make it or break it year for Matt Harvey. I mean, there's rumors. Will he be dealt at the deadline? Will he be here to stay in New York? Um, you have a lot of young talent on this team, especially in that pitching staff, in the bullpen as well. Um, you know, you have the 6'6 veteran in Jerry Blevins, who, my honest opinion, he's the most underrated player on the bulk, in on the team. Excuse me. Um, so we'll see how the Mets do this year. Any uh, predictions for the Mets before we move on to the Yanks? Uh I think that if the pitching stays healthy, the Mets should probably have around 82, 83 wins this season. Mm-hmm. I think the Mets, if all things go well for the Mets, I think they could be a wild card team this year. I think wild card at best. Yeah. Um, you know, how, remember, the Yankees had the playing game last year. So uh, the, the Mets could potentially be in that game as well if all goes well. I mean, they have the names in the lineup. The thing is, can they produce? Uh, with that being said, let's move on to the Yankees. Now, they don't open up until Monday, April 2nd. They'll be at Tampa Bay against the Rays. Now, speaking of production, this kid, Billy McKinney, just comes yeah. out of nowhere. Five home runs in spring training. Wow. Incredible, huh? Yeah. He's, uh, listen, uh, the Yankees outfield Real is so deal. deep, I don't expect him to make the roster, but he, he's show him what he could do for other teams to then see him. I think he might make the roster if he keeps playing like this. I mean, I understand it's the Yankees, but, I mean, this guy, five home runs in spring training, that's a lot of promise, if you ask me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, it's. I think it's going to come down to the last few games. I mean, really, it's, yeah, the Yankees pretty much have their starting lineup set. It's really, yeah. this is now just time for the prospects to get more action, and... Do you mean the Yankees open up their season at home on the second? Yes. Okay, because I was going to say, because they play on March March 29th as well. They do, and they open up their first home opener on April 2nd. I think I had a little uh, blooper there in my head. Um, But, yes, the Yankees do open up on March 29th as well, next Thursday. And the Yankees will not open up at home, but the Mets will. So... Getting the division right out of the bat, you get the Blue Jays, and then you got the Rays. Yeah, who and who knows what the Blue Jays are going to be too? That's yeah. they're a total question mark, but that's beside the point. And who did the Yankees have on opening day? What do you mean for pitcher? No, for uh, who 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 are they playing on opening day? Toronto. They are playing Toronto. That's yeah, why I just right. brought up Toronto. Yeah, and speaking of which, another guy who's really impressed in spring training, good old Aaron Judge, uh, had two home runs against the Orioles. I mean, a lot of people are saying this guy even though it's technically his third season, his second full season coming up. Um, a lot of people are expecting a sophomore slump. Uh, you know, yeah, but I don't see it strictly because now you have Giancarlo Stanton in the lineup. It's not like you can pitch around the guy or you can play around with Judge a lot because he's he can smack them into right He can smack them wherever he wants in that ballpark. As long as he's playing in that ballpark, I think Judge is primed to have great success this year as well. What's beautiful about this lineup, Tom, is is the fact that they're so deep hitting-wise, whether it's Sanchez or Didi. Even when Aaron Judge was going through that slump right. in July and August, you had guys step up like Didi and Sanchez, so you didn't have to worry about it. And now you just added the NL MVP, Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah. So I wouldn't be that worried about Aaron Judge's production. 
Judge could afford, I mean, let's be realistic. If you expect Aaron Judge to have the exact same year he had last season, you're a little bit crazy. So, you know, it's really unrealistic to think Judge will have the same amount of production that he had last year. If he did, then great. If not, you know, it is what it is. I still think that Aaron Judge could still put up very serviceable numbers. But, you know, it's like Kyle said, adding John Carlos Stanton makes this team a totally different team. Yeah. It's like an, it's another fact that you – it's another major factor in that lineup you have to worry about because now when you have, like, Murderer's Row with Stanton – That's judge, an understatement. <laughs> with Judge Stanton and Gary Sanchez all potentially hitting right after each other, any pitcher that has to deal with that, it's it could be a lot of trouble. And let's not overlook Greg Bird and Didi Gregorius as well. Absolutely. And Ty- Tyler Wade, young yep. up-and-coming infielder, just earned the spot on the roster. Yep. So that's pretty impressive. But back to Judge for a minute. I mean, this guy, technically, his full rookie season last year, dominant in home runs, and it was talked about who's going to hit more homers. We all said Giancarlo Stanton, but honestly, I think it's going to be a, a fun race to watch. I mean, these might be two potential AL MVP candidates this year in Judge and Stanton. Yeah, it's going to be a great thing to watch. Uh, I, I would go on the back of saying Giancarlo because of the fact that pitchers – in that division would have never played against him really. I mean any time that they've played him it was basically once a season, maybe not even that. Yeah. So I would go with Giancarlo, but I'm rooting for Judge. I do I think he's going to have the same season as next season like Greg said, probably right. not. But as if he hits 35 plus home runs and Giancarlo does about the same or even more, I I'm fine with that. Right. And you know, I think the Yankees are playing their cards perfectly with Judge. They're taking it slow, obviously. The surgically repaired left shoulder at the beginning of spring training, it appears to have paid off, Yeah, to be quite honest with you. I mean, just five exhibition games remaining now, and Judge Bat honestly looks really ready to open up the season as it looks like we do have our first caller of the evening who's calling at this time, and we will get to him or her in just a moment. But the Yanks rotation as well, it's looking like Luis Severino, Masahiro Tanaka, CC Sabathia, Sonny Gray, Jordan Montgomery. I don't think any argument with those five. No. no. Not really. No. no. Pretty straightforward. As we actually had a dropped call as our engineer, Jason Glickman, picked that up. Um, so hopefully we'll get that call back later or something. But the Yankees won 91 games last year, a lot of people forget. And they were a wild card team. And they were one game away from making the World Series. And to have this stacked lineup and such a dominant rotation, I think for this team this year – it could potentially be World Series or bust. Yeah, you know? abs- absolutely. I mean, With you, that lineup. You add a guy like Stanton, and and you have all the expectations. But, but let's not forget, I mean, the Red Sox won the division last year, and Houston won the World Series. And everyone forgets that Boston won the yeah. division last year. They added J.D. Martinez, who's another home run hitting guy. Uh, Houston added uh, Garrett Cole, who was, mm-hmm. for weeks and weeks, was rumored to go to the Yankees. He wanted up with, uh, with the Astros. They have a solid so, three pitchers. Yeah, yeah but like th- these matchups, like Chris Sale against Judge Stanton Sanchez, like it's going to be a gonna great be year to watch. watch. That might be, you know, I think the Yankees, Red Sox, and the Astros may be the three top teams in the American League. I'm very high on JD Martinez this year. Yeah, yeah. and my only not it's not even a concern actually, but Mart- Martinez got signed so late. Yeah, that you know. You don't know how well his body will adapt right. back to yeah. The, yeah. But I think he's going to have a spectacular season. We'll see about that. Um, we'll go over our official team predictions next week. 
Um, and folks, we do realize um, we may have a technical difficulty here and there tonight due to uh, the snowstorm that happened yesterday. And if there's any technical technical difficulties, John Wasserman, Jay Wass, and Jason will be right on that for you. So we'll keep you tuned right here. Now, other baseball news before we go to our first break. Jake Arrieta pitching for the Phillies. Uh, he got bombed the other day. Yeah, he <laughs> he did get rocked, but again, you know, took a lot longer to get him signed compared to a lot of other pitchers and the players in the market. But, you know, Arietta's stuff looked good, and I think that's really all that matters. You can't really focus too much at the results of spring training games because this is really just going through the reps and getting yourself ready for when games matter. Um, I don't put too much stock in a guy giving up eight runs in a game yeah. in spring training because this is really just getting the form down and making things right, like, like for the season. So yeah. if you're not if you're not having a great spring training out, I'm not going to you know crucify you. Right. But I mean, Arietta's breaking stuff had its moments where it looked really good, like it's looked for the last three or four years. Uh, it's it, that could be a, a very underrated sign by the Phillies because no team really seemed to be too after Arietta, and especially mm-hmm. for a 75 million dollar deal over three years, they clearly trust him. I don't see it. But, you know, we'll see yeah. what happens. And another thing, too, five people got tossed in his Phillies debut. Yeah. Uh, home plate umpire Tom Halley was not messing around <laughs> as the Tigers won that game 6-2. to two. Um, Any final thoughts on baseball before we get to opening day next week? Can't come soon enough. Yeah. You know, I still kind of feel bad Alex Cobb hasn't been signed yet. He was yeah, signed. He just he wa- signed. Oh, really? By the, by the all- signed Orioles. Orioles. Uh, yesterday, wow. $60 million over the course of four years. Uh, kind of... Uh, a very, very late signing considering yeah. that uh, the season starts in a week. But Alex Cobb is a solid pitcher. Uh, yeah. I was rooting for him to sign with the Yankees. Former Tampa Bay Ray. Yeah. And, that, and that's actually, um, I just got that. Uh, I'm surprised I didn't get that update on my phone yesterday. Four-year, $60 million contract. Yep. And remember, he's just 30 years old. He won 12 games last year and 29 starts for the for the Rays. Yep. So we'll see what happens with him. And good for him. Yep. Staying, in the, staying in the division, competitive lineup. All right, folks, when we come back. We're going to talk about some NFL free agency. We're going to start with the Giants and then move on to the Jets. Folks, stay tuned. we got a lot in store for you tonight. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org. This is Review and Preview, folks. Welcome back. I am your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Greg Vavernick back on the show tonight. Great to have you. Kyle Russo back here in the studio. Jason Glickman and Jay Wass. They call him John Wasserman. No Tommy Mac tonight. We expect a call from him later. And now at this time, let's get into Block B. NFL free agency. The New York football giants have traded away their star defensive end, Jason Pierre-Paul, and their third-round pick to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This happened today for 2018 third- and fourth-round picks for the Buccaneers. Uh, Like it, I think it saves so much money for the Giants, and then you're starting to rebuild now to save for guys like Odell and Landon Collins moving forward, and this move can potentially put Bradley Chubb uh, as a potential number two pick. You know, there's so many options the Giants have it too now. But, man, Jason Pierre-Paul, if you're a Giants fan, 
thanks for everything. He was an incredible player. I mean, last couple of years were a little disappointing after the um, the index finger uh, in- incident. But overall, once a giant, always a giant. JPP was the real deal. Yeah, absolutely, Tommy. Uh, Tom, when he came out in uh, 2010, he was just a just a star player. I mean, he was a key uh, contribution in the 2011 uh, Super Bowl win. Uh, he's going to be missed, but he's the second highest paid player, or was the second highest paid player on the uh, Giants, making seventeen and a half million dollars a year, and the production just wasn't there. And as a thirty-year-old defensive end, it's just too much to be paying for, especially when you have holes at the offensive line. You want to sign back Odell next season. You want to sign back Landon Collins. He's just making too much money. Yeah, agreed. I think really it was a move that had to be made, like Kyle said. The production wasn't there, and really he wasn't the same player like he was when he first came into the league. It was a move that had to be made, and it's always good to get some draft picks right before the draft comes. And this is this is a good move for the Buccaneers because they didn't have too much of a pass rush aside from Gerald McCoy and Levante David, so this is a good move for them. I think it was. Yeah. this could be a win-win depending on how even the picks shake out for the Giants, but this is a move mm-hmm. that had to be made. And, you know, the Giants have been all business. Talk about on that defensive line, um, you know, a couple outside linebackers coming over. I mean, the trade for Alec Ogletree was how their free agency started, and the Giants had uh, one of the better free agencies in the NFL. Um, getting Ogletree from the Rams via trade, Kareem Martin from the Cardinals fits into Betcher's defense well. Three-year, $15 million deal. Josh Morrow, underrated guy. Remember, Martin and Morrow, both 6-6 outside pass edge rushers from the Arizona Cardinals. Coming over to this defense, two underrated players that I think will have a lot of success in big blue uniforms. Yeah, absolutely. Just with their size alone, to be able to run past any offensive line in the division, whether it's uh, the Eagles, whether it's the Redskins, whether it's Dallas, uh, they're going to be a huge threat because of their size. Yeah. Um, and Greg, um, another thing too, um, talking about the Giants and what they've done in free agency, a lot of guys, not just from the Cardinals, but the Panthers coming over. Um, and in that secondary, we'll start with guys like Teddy Williams, um, Jonathan Stewart comes over, uh, the running back from Carolina, two year, $6.9 million deal. Obviously, they lost out on Andrew Norwell, but who went to Jacksonville for a big deal there. But the Giants have been signing a lot of familiar faces to Dave Gettleman and James Betcher. I think really they're just going with trusted guys that know what systems they might want to run and really just try and build some, like, get some veteran leadership in there too. And I think really these could be moves that pay off for the Giants. I Honestly, though, I really don't understand the move for Jonathan Stewart because, I mean, I guess it just shows the Giants are going to try and rely on Jonathan Stewart to, run, to be the running back. And try and and, pro, and possibly shy away from taking Saquon Barkley in the draft, mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's a, or if anything, he could be a good backup for, you know, if the Giants do want to go the route of taking Saquon Barkley. But I think it could be a good sign for the Giants. The Giant fan just can't expect a whole lot from Stewart just because he's so old. I actually, this is actually, I, th- I think we differ on this a little bit. I have a little different take on. It. I think Stewart might be there to help them get Barkley to mentor Barkley a little bit. You know, that's one of the things that I thought, because there was actually a report about that a couple weeks ago. But, I mean, regardless if the Giants take Barkley or not, I think having rebranded the left side of that offensive line with Nate Solder, which was real, realistically, things happen for a reason. And I think missing out on Norwell 
was not really as big of a deal as people made it out to be because they signed Nate Solder. They needed a left tackle much more than a left guard. Yeah, you have to protect Eli's blind side. That's been the weakness of the Giants for the past couple of years. And Patrick Omena, too, from the Jacksonville Jaguars, who they couldn't afford to keep after signing Norwell, and Dave Gettleman swipes him up, and he's really an underrated huge guy. That left side of the O-line is huge now with Solder and Omena. Obviously, you lost your two best O-linemen in Richburg and Pugh to West Coast teams in the NFC, but Brett Jones at center, solid player, and they get him for a lot cheaper and save so much money. Uh, the left side is rebranded a little bit now. Taking away Nate Solder from the Patriots makes me happy enough because I hate the Patriots, but that really was a move that the Giants had to make anyway. Mm-hmm. So to bring in a guy like Solder who's very trusted, and when you tr- and when you are protecting the greatest quarterback of all time and you bring this guy in to protect Eli Manning, I think that's a very good signing. Mm-hmm. You can never really go wrong. A lot of money for a left tackle, but you know what? It's, it's a position that needs to be paid well yeah. because that's one of the most underrated positions in the league. Mm-hmm. So I think that was personally a great signing by the Giants, and it's even better because Nate Solder is finally off the Patriots. Yeah. Oh, um, for you as a Jets fan, I know you'd love to see that. But me as a Giants fan overall, I think having Solder protect Eli's blind side as a silver lining because if Flowers even gets a chance to start this year, it's going to be at right tackle at best. Yeah, and it's fantastic that he's going to be switched to right tackle because of the fact that when he got drafted out of Miami, he was a top 10 pick as a right tackle. Yeah. The Giants put him at left tackle for some reason. I don't know why. I mean, it's not like they had a right tackle to begin with. No. But now you move more to right tackle, and it's not like a guarantee that he's going to be with the team. Mm-hmm. They're going to give him the opportunity, yeah. and hopefully he succeeds. Give the kid a chance to succeed. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And I think Flowers is entering, what, year number four now? Year, year number three? Year... I think I think he was drafted in 2015, so year number three. Yeah. yeah year number three coming up. Uh, actually, no, that this was his third season. That oh, this passed. was his? Yep. Yeah, so year number so four. So overall, we'll see what happens with Flowers. I personally don't like the guy, but we'll give him a chance at right tackle, see what happens. Um, you know, having John Greco, DJ Fluker, I mean, Quentin Nelson's still on the board, one of the top three prospects in the draft. I mean, we'll see what the Giants do. Um Giants also focusing on special teams a little bit. Guys like B.W. Webb talked about Morrow. Uh, and they re-signed Kerry Wynn and Mark Herzlick as well. Uh, two veterans, Wynn obviously a lot younger than Herzlick. But uh, those two guys, veteran guys, on your special teams unit and new special teams coordinator Tom McGaugie, I'd be pretty satisfied right now with the names that you have. Now it's just can they produce on special teams, you know? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And then the Giants uh, with James Bet- uh, Betcher, it's been rumored that they're looking to run a 3-4 uh, defense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's four linebackers, uh, three guys up front, uh, two DNs and a nose tackle. So you have Damon Harrison right now and Olivier Vernon. And it was rumored that because JPP was not going to be able to fit into that defense, they traded him away. Right. Now, Kerry Wynn could possibly be that other DN. Maybe he fits. That's possibly why they re-signed him, mm-hmm. because the production wasn't there last season, but the year before that, he was very good. So maybe he fits into that 3-4 type of defense, and we'll see. Now, Greg, a lot of people are speculating that the trade um, of shipping Jason Pierre-Paul down to Tampa Bay can potentially free up the Giants to go after NC State, all-ACC defensive end Bradley Chubb at number two. I think really this could be this is a big time move that could put the Giants in that position. The Giants still have all the 
flexibility in the world with the number two pick because it's pretty clear as day that, that Cleveland's going to go quarterback right. first overall. So the Giants can go any way they want with this pick. Trading away Pierre Paul really puts the Giants in a great place to get Chubb. They could use Saquon Barkley. They could also use a quarterback. Mm-hmm. This is a pick that, I mean, hell, they could even go after a guard like Quentin Nelson, a quote-unquote, as you like to say, golden domer. The said pi- that very re- reluctantly, by the way. Uh, yeah, because I hate whenever you bring up golden domers. Well, you did it for me, so thanks, exactly. Greg. It's great to have you back. Oh, so happy to be back. <laughs> but I think the Giants, really, they have so many routes they can go with this pick. I think, really, at this rate, they Barkley's a once- a one-time talent that you don't see a lot, but I don't think the Giants getting a running back right now is the biggest concern. I think they either got to go after Chubb as a pass rusher or they need to go after a quarterback to be the heir to Eli. That's mm-hmm. just my personal opinion. I would put the quarterback first because the only way you succeed as an organization is with a quarterback, and right now all you have is Eli and his time is coming soon, and you need someone to fill in after him so because the Giants obviously are a winning team with winning tradition. You want to keep that going after Eli is gone. I think this is the right time to get the quarterback because you have four potential guys, or realistically three, mm-hmm. at that pick that you could choose to be the heir to Eli. And Bradley Chubb is a great, he's a great pass rusher, but realist, I still think that even though the, with the Pierre Paul trade it puts the Giants in play for Chubb, I still think the Giants should go for quarterback. Now, Kyle, you, 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 and I we're saying most likely no quarterback at number two. Yeah, does no. that does that still stand? Yeah, it still stands. Uh, I, I just I just don't see them taking a quarterback. I don't think that. Uh, yesterday was USC's uh, pro day, and uh, right. Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Cleveland Browns, was sitting with Sam Darnold's family, which apparently is never heard of before. So I think that's a lockup at number one. Right, and I just. When I look at Saquon Barkley, Tom, I, yeah. I just see a guy that's going to be wearing a golden jacket one day. Uh, that's that's how I, he's wow. he's viewed as a guy that's wow. a once in a generational talent. And you Who see these Saquon Barkley. Oh, the kid hasn't even been and drafted. You, yet. And that's you, strong and words, see, Mr. Russo. You, you see the type of talent that he brings to the table. Yeah. And when I look at guys like Bradley Chubb, and, and I know these are just measurables, but the guy isn't that strong. I mean, he he only had 24 reps at the at, uh, the combine, mm-hmm. which is not that great when you have other guys like Vita Vey, who's a top prospect, and he's doing 41. That guy's gonna be something. Quick, yeah. Quick question though, which I mean, this really goes to show you that the Giants don't have a pick like this very often. Last time the Giants had a pick like this was back in 1981, the number two overall pick, and they took Lawrence Taylor, uh, defense uh, outside linebacker, and look how he turned out to be. Could the Giants do the same with a defensive player like Chubb again? Obviously, with Dave Gettleman at the helm um, and Pat Shermer now, realistically, it's all a guessing game at this point because I feel like if the Giants would take a quarterback, they would want Darnold. Yeah. That's my personal... I don't think they want Rosen. Or Allen. I don't think they want Josh Allen either. Um but, I mean, it's really tough because now you have the Jets sitting right behind them at three. So we'll uh, and we'll actually get to the Jets after this break in just a minute. Um, but to finalize the Giants here, I thought Dave Gettleman so far, the first two waves of free agency, he's done a pretty nice job. I really think he's filled a lot of the holes on the, t- on the team where come draft time he can be more flexible now on who he takes as where, let's say, 
if the Giants take Barkley, if the Giants take Rosen or Darnold, if they take Chubb, if they take Nelson, I think it's going to be one of those four to five guys at this point. You're not really putting yourself in a hole in any other position yeah. at the moment. You know, you, know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Obviously, you'd love to be set up for the future after Eli, and you'd love to get more depth at defensive end. But any final thoughts on these Giants? Well, as a Giants fan, Tommy, and, and I think you feel the same way, I think we both want to see Saquon Barkley in a, in a big blue uniform. It, uh, am I right? I think a lot of teams would like that. Yeah, but but, you know. but the the realistic side, it, I'm looking at it like the Jets paid three second-round picks to move up three spots. Imagine what they could get from a team like Buffalo who's in the teens. Right. And I feel like with all these holes that they do have, that might be the most beneficial route for them to take. Do I want them to take that route? Yeah. No. But I feel like... With all the issues that they have, whether it's corner, still at the linebacker position, because if you are going to run a 3-4 defense, you're going to need four linebackers. And as right. of now, you only have two. My thing is this, and I'm going to end the segment on this statement. Uh, I think the NFC will get a huge break if the Giants take Barkley. Yeah. That's just me. Um, but anyway, enough on that. When we come back, we're going to talk about the New York Jets and their free agency moves as they've picked up a lot of quality guys. All right, folks, you're listening to Review and Preview right here on WCWPSports.org. John Wasserman on the board there. The wobble. Wow. I love it. I love it. You've got to engineer more often when I'm around. I I mean, he did go to school up in Iona, you know? Uh All right, welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I'm Tom Scavetta here with Greg Vavernick, Kyle Russo, Jason Glickman is left for the night. John Wasserman on the board here. Let's get right to it. The New York Jets have traded with the Indianapolis Colts for the number three overall pick in this year's draft. And the Jets surrender three second-round picks to the Colts. Um, Greg, I'm going to start with you here. Uh, What do you think of this trade, and what do you think the Jets are trying to accomplish moving up to number three? Draft a quarterback. I mean, that's really all there is to it. Uh, this is a trade that the Jets really wanted to do to try and get a little more flexibility with the choices that they want because Buffalo has been looking to get into the top five to get a quarterback, and I think by the Jets sneaking in to the top three, moving up three spots, giving away, swapping first-rounders and giving away three second-rounders obviously is a lot for your future of the team, but really... When you look at it, you've seen deals that are far worse than this. It's not the end of the world. It's a move the Jets had to do because if they just sat at six, there wasn't even going to be a guarantee that a quarterback could still be there that the Jets have been looking at. With Denver, I think, still going to potentially take a quarterback. Buffalo wants to get into the top five and the top three even so desperately. So for the Jets to get from six to three is a big sign that they definitely are going to go quarterback in this draft. I'm really happy about it because I already have it in my mind that Donald is going to go to Cleveland. And depending on what the Giants do, which I think they're going to personally go quarterback. And I think the Jets are going to have a little bit more flexibility with this pick to take a quarterback rather than just have to set up one. I think that the fact that they will have a lot more options will be key for them. And it was a move that they had to do. Um, And it's just this offseason with the Jets having the amount of cap space that they had 
Tommy Mack and I have been saying this this is going to be an offseason where the Jets really start to turn it around and really cha- change the look of the team. And so far this offseason, with the first week and a half of free agency, two weeks of free agency, the Jets are doing a pretty damn good job of putting a lot of good pieces in place for this season coming up. You would hope. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you would hope. I believe that this could either be really, really good for the Jets or, or really bad. And and meaning that it looks like Cleveland's probably going to take Donald, right? Yeah. It's and basically. what's even – you never want somebody to hold your future. And for it to be the New York Giants is probably the worst feeling right now for every Jets fan in the country because the Giants are sitting at the driver's seat right now and they're saying we could do anything we want. We could trade this pick away, and if they do, it'll most likely be to a team like Buffalo. Now, let's say Buffalo takes the Jets quarterback. Darnold's going to Cleveland. McCagden has been rumored that he doesn't like small quarterbacks, so that takes Baker Mayf- uh, Mayfield off the board. Mm-hmm. So that leaves you with Josh Allen or Rosen. Right. Now, Buffalo's interested, and they, they've been to uh, Allen's pro day. So you'd believe that if they traded with the Giants, they would take Allen. Now that leaves you with Rosen. Now, Rosen has the talent arm-wise, but you never want to draft a guy that's had sh- shoulder surgery, wearing a knee brace, and has already had two concussions already, especially behind a line like the Jets where he's not going to be protected. So th- this could be very good or very, very bad for the Jets. And before we go any further, folks, we do apologize. We know a lot of you are having trouble with our website right now on WCWP Sports. We're trying to troubleshoot that, and um, we'll get to that in just a moment. But we do like to remind you all, call in, 516-299-2030. We're having fun talking about these Jets. Moving on, um, Spencer Long. We talked about this before the break. Very under-the-radar signing by the Jets that I think is going to pay off for a offensive line that struggled last year. I think really it was a move that the Jets need because their offensive line has been a, basically a mess for a long time. They tried to bring in Ryan Clady last year to be a left tackle. That really didn't work out too well. And, you know, Spencer Long as uh, the new center for the Jets really was a great move because last year the Jets, I couldn't even tell you who the Jets center was because it was that awful. But to have a guy like Long come in who was a very trusted center for Kirk Cousins, I mean, it was a great signing. It's only a two-year deal, but you know what? This is a move that had to be made because the Jets needed help with the offensive line because really the only surefire thing they have is Brian Winters, who is very mediocre at best, and James Carpenter, who's who's had a lot of good years with the Jets, but he hasn't. He took a little bit of a step back last year. So to bring in a guy like Long, it was a good move for the Jets because it was one of those many moves that the Jets needed that had to be made. And not even uh, Long, Greg, but Tremaine Johnson alone. I mean, we were talking oh, about it before uh, this segment right here. It's a it's a fantastic signing don't for them, get me considering that Buster Screen was your best corner at the time. And now right, you add now you add Johnson to that team and they just that defense could be a fantastic defense in this NFL next season. They really are building that secondary back up because the Jets secondary aside from really really all the secondary was last year was Jamal Adams and Marcus May. Yeah. And to bring in a true shutdown corner like Tremaine Johnson and a lot of my friends were saying how he didn't he got a little too much money, but realistically Cornerbacks deserve to get some to get some paper. 
Yeah, he had to get paid. Listen, the Jets had the money to sp- uh, the spend. I wouldn't be th- that worried about the contract, considering how much money they have in cap. Mm-hmm. But but they needed to get this guy. And when you, uh, the guy's only making fourteen and a half million dollars a year, which realistically in the NFL is not terrible. Yeah, yeah Kurt it's not Cousins bad. is making twenty eight million guaranteed. Yeah, so there's not too much of an issue. The Tremaine Johnson signing was a big time improvement in the secondary because now you have a trusted corner. Buster Screen, all he is is a guy with a Fetty Wap haircut and a holding penalty waiting to happen. There you go. <laughs> so really, having a guy like Tremaine Johnson in, and the Jets were meeting today with Alan Hearns and E.J. Gaines, and if the Jets came in, should bring in E.J. Gaines, who, a little overhyped at times when he was a Ram and a Bill, gets into a lot of penalty trouble like Buster Screen, but he is definitely a, a bigger improvement than Buster Screen, and if the Jets could manage to bring in a guy like EJ Gaines, that could actually put Buster Screen's job at jeopardy, and really, if the Jets are able to also pull in Alan Hearns, because I know Alan Hearns met yesterday with Dallas, if Alan Hearns and the Jets could come in to a deal today, or mm-hmm. even in the next couple of days, that would be a big-time improvement, because the Jaguars are throwing all this money around, but they can't afford to keep the guys that they really need on offense, because right now, the offense for them is only Leonard Fournette. Mm-hmm. Al Robinson's gone. And if the Jets could pull Alan Hearns away from Jacksonville, that would be a huge help for, who at this point, whoever the starting quarterback is going to be for the Jets to throw to. Because you're still going to have Jermaine Curse this year. Robbie Anderson is up in the air with all of his off-the-field stuff. Quincy Nunwa coming back. Our Darius Stewart hopefully has a, be- a good second year after really not doing anything his rookie year. Mm-hmm. So this could be, those could be big moves. But the Jets are doing it right. And also bringing in a guy like Avery Williamson to still run this 3-4 defense who has been so underrated with the Titans and a very affordable contract for the Jets, too. They really hit a home run, I think, on the Avery Williamson deal. The only thing I regret for the Jets is that they did not bring back Demario Davis. Well, yeah, uh, me and... Uh... Me, Tommy, and Tom, we were talking about that last week on the show. What was bizarre about the entire thing is that Avery Williamson is making $22.5 million over the course of three years, and the Saints signed Mario Davis for only 24 over the course of three years. Right. So for a guy who led the league in tackles to not bring him back for that differentia, uh, differentiation of money, it was kind of bizarre to me. But a guy like Alan Hearns, they need to land this guy because they didn't get any offensive weaponry at all for any quarterback who comes in as the Jets starter next season. Because if you don't know the outcome of Robbie Anderson, this guy could be in in, in jail, suspension. We don't even know. They didn't bring back Safarian Jenkins. Matt Forte retired. You brought in Crowell, which was a nice underrated signing. But a quarterback has to have something to throw to. And that's what I thought the Jets would have addressed this offseason, but failed to do. So they need to land a guy like Alan Hearns. Yeah, um... Hopefully to bolster their offense. Um, and speaking of the offense, you guys really hit it home. Uh, and don't forget Isaiah Crowell. You know, apparently it was rumored the Jets were pushing for Jarek McKinnon really hard, but you get a running back in Isaiah Crowell who's just 25, had a couple successful years with the Browns, especially 2016 where he had those seven touchdowns um, in his rookie season. I really think Isaiah Crowell can lead this Jets backfield. Um, And overall, the question now for me is, will it be McCown or Bridgewater at behind center? I think you got to give Bridgewater a shot. The guy's been out of the league for two years. 
He's he's still young. He could still produce. You kind of know what you're going to get with these. You kind of know what you're going to get with McCown based on last year. I think Bridgewater still has right. a lot of potential. I think that you know he deserves to have another shot, another shot at being a starter in the league, especially after all that he's gone through to try and just get back. Yeah. Um, I really think that it should be Bridgewater. I know the Jets um, apparently have said that McC- that McCown has already got the starting job. I and I personally don't believe it. Um, I don't think that McCown deserves to. I mean, he he was a starter last year, but I think he needs to be more of you know the teacher for Bridgewater and be like that support system. I, I really believe that this is a team that needs to be led by Teddy Bridgewater just because he's younger. He still could have had the explosives that he had when he was still starting for the Vikings, and I think really these. I mean, these guys have, McCown and Bridgewater are both on one year deals. They're stopgap guys until the quarterback that the Jets draft this year in the draft is going to be ready to go. That's really how it is. So as long as the Jets stay competitive, I think that's the big thing. But all I know, both the quarterbacks, whether it's McCann or Bridgewater, they're not going to be here next year anyway. I'd rather see Bridgewater get the chance to start because I think that he deserves it after all he's gone through. Mm-hmm. And McCann, you know what you're going to get. Yeah, it, it, and you just feel bad for McCown, too, though, because his season ended with an injury last year, and he had a pretty respectable season considering what the Jets were supposed to be and what they ended up being. Um, you know, it's it's sad for both quarterbacks coming off injuries, especially McCown this late in his career that, you know, you don't want to see him end like that either. But I see Bridgewater definitely out of those two um, deserves a shot. I think both of them deserve a shot. To be honest, it's just a matter of who they put in that position. In terms of upside, I think Bridgewater has a little bit more upside, like Greg was saying. Um, with McCown, you know what you're going to get. Yeah, you know, He's been a journeyman throughout his career. But moving on from that, a couple of under-the-radar signings in the offensive linemen they signed uh, in Cooper and linebacker Brandon Copeland as well. Um, a couple under-the-radar signings. Um, and then other NFL news. Frank Gore just signed with the Miami Dolphins. Good signing. Two hours ago. Great signing. Def, he's on his, it's just a depth signing. He's on his last legs. It's Yeah. Uh, well, listen, he, he's he been successful with Indy for the past couple of years, and look at the offensive line that he has there to run behind. Now you got a guy like uh, Josh Sitton to run behind, a couple other guys like Laramie Tunsil. I mean, he could be very successful. Uh, Frank Gore is, a, again, another journeyman, but he, he's a power back and can be successful with the team that he – with Miami, you said, right, Tom? Yeah. He could be very successful with Miami. And the team that's really surprised me is the Cleveland Browns with what they've done um, yeah. this offseason, getting Tyrod Taylor, Carlos Hyde, Jarvis Landry, the trade with the Packers for Demarius Randall in the secondary, um, and then Chris Hubbard, offensive lineman, five years, $37.5 million deal. They're really making moves, and they have two of the first four picks in this year's NFL draft. Um you know, looking at the Cleveland Browns, you're looking at the roster. They should put together a couple of games next year, you would think. Yeah, it did. You know? It depends on who they take with that uh, fourth pick because uh, I think Darnold is a lockup. I don't really see him mm-hmm. coming to the starting job right away unless he just completely beats out Tyrod Taylor. Right. But depending on who, who they get with that fourth pick, I mean, if a guy like Saquon Barkley drops them, if they wind up going, if uh, Chubb winds up drafting to them, uh, coming to them, if uh, Nelson winds up falling, 
it all just depends. But Cleveland, what they've done right now, uh, they're in a win situation. I mean, how, how do you tell your fan base after an 0-16 season and you go into another offseason not doing anything? No. Yeah, no, Kyle, that's an excellent point there you brought up there about Cleveland. Now, we talked about all of the free agent moves that were made last week, a couple of moves that were transpired this week. The Detroit Lions have done a lot. Not only did they get Devon Kennard from the Giants, but they also got Luke Wilson, serviceable tight end, and they got LeGarrette Blunt, one-year, $4.5 million deal. And then the other move that we were talking about last week, where is Terran Matthew going to go? Houston Texans signed him one-year, $7 million. That's huge because – they signed him to yeah, only one year, but this is that's like a proven deal. That's not even like a legitimate deal. Ty- Tyron Matthews is a proven safety in this league. For them to get him for that cheap is huge. Mm-hmm. And plus, he's probably a guy that they're looking to lock up long term. Tyron Matthews is an excellent, excellent safety in this league. It was just based on cap space why Arizona let him go. Mm-hmm. Can't believe that you let a guy like Tyron Matthew, the honey badger, make $7 million. I know. That's like that's unbelievable. Yeah, that's crazy. That's unbelievable. A couple other signings: uh, former Giant DJ Fluker to the Seattle Seahawks, former Baltimore Raven Ryan Jensen, signed with the Buccaneers, four years, forty-two million, and Vinny Curry and Jason Pierre-Paul, in addition to Will Clark, Bo Allen, and Mitch Unrein, all to Tampa Bay. That defensive line is a lot better now. They're giving Jameis Winston everything that he should need to be successful. Everybody thought last year was going to be his year, considering adding O.J. Howard, who at the time people were comparing to Gronk, who adding Deshaun Jackson, uh, having Cameron Brait, who's an underrated tight end. Does he deserve the money he got? Probably not, but he's a good tight end. And then on top of the fact that you have Mike Evans. It's, it's all based on James Winston's performances now. It's a great stacked roster at this point, but again, you can talk about the names on the roster all you want. It's all about production, and let's see if Winston can cash in. Um, that's going to do it for our football segment tonight of the, sh- of the show. When we come back, we're going to go over our team of the week. Folks, and after the team of the week, stay tuned because we will also go over some NBA action and the playoff picture is beginning to come together. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org. Welcome back to Review and Preview. I am your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Greg Vavernick, Kyle Russo, John Wasserman on the board. No Tommy Mack tonight on the show. And it is the top of the hour, approaching the top of the hour, currently 5.56 p.m. It's now Eastern Daylight Time. We have made the transition from Eastern Standard to Eastern Daylight. And at this time, Team of the Week. And Kyle, I'm going to start with you because last week, I remember your Team of the Week, and I want to hear if it's the same for this week. Oh, it's actually not the same, Tom. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the New York Jets. I mean, it for McCagnan to make a move of this magnitude is is huge. I mean, this could be, this could be the guy that Jets fans talk about for years and years to come. The guy who drafted the future quarterback of the New York Jets, or this could be another one of those GMs that rolling in and out the door. But this is this is a huge move for the Jets. Uh, the, this could be their guy. That they this could be their guy that they have for the next 10, 15 years. So my team of the week, New York Jets. Now i got to think of a new team because I was going to say the Jets too. i got to think of something different now. Huh. Sorry uh, about that, Greg. Uh, it's, you know, eh, screw it. I'm going to go with the Jets also just because, I mean, you make you, all the signings that the Jets have made to improve the many areas that they have had to improve this offseason, 
McCagnan has been utilizing the cap space very well. And even after the draft, the Jets are going to be expected to have a little under $30 million still in cap space. So they could still go out and make a bunch of moves if they really need to. I mean, I really think that this has been the offseason that the Jets have needed for a long time. So I think that really that aside from really not bringing back to Mario Davis, there's really not many things that the Jets have done wrong with free agency so far, and I think that really it's it I, it's got to be the Jets. For me, um, to, to make it interesting, I'll go with a different team here. Uh, I'm going to go with the number 11 seed that upset Miami, Loyola, Chicago. They go. are in the sweet 16. Sister Jean. Wow. And don't Jean. forget, they also upset Tennessee on Saturday as well. Yep. And, you know, Tennessee, a team I had in my Elite Eight, but Loyola, Chicago, just coming out of nowhere. Um, who called that in round of 64? I know I did. I did not. So the only one in this room that took that. So Loyola, Chicago is my team of the week. An 11 seed making the Sweet 16, a team that had never won an NCAA tournament game. You know where I was when they upset Miami? I was at Brother Jimmy's right by Madison Square Garden, getting ready for my first Knicks game ever. <sighs> and uh, Loyola Chicago pulls off the upset. They drill the, drill the three as time expires, and Jim Laranega there looks like a ghost on the sideline like it's happened again. Miami's lost in the first round of the tournament two straight years. Incredible. And um, Jay Wass, for you, if you'd like to chip in with your team of the week, you can't say Iona because <laughs> – they uh, got ousted by Duke in the first round, but uh, I'll, g- I'll go to you here. Uh, after they got out, I don't care anymore, <laughs> if I'm being totally honest. As, uh, I like it. Yeah, <laughs> the fifth seed, the 15 seed falls to the two. Duke in the Sweet 16, they'll take on Syracuse tomorrow night. Um, but we're going to roll around here through to the NBA. Um, and I really want to highlight the Philadelphia 76ers and the great job that they've done this season. Uh, they currently sit fourth in the Eastern Conference, and with a 40 and 30 record, they are just two wins away from finishing over 500 for the first time since the 0405 season. Well, well, listen, Tom. Not to take anything away from what Philadelphia has done, not to take away from uh, Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons, but when you tank for as many years as they have, you're, you're bound to hit something. And they hit on uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and they've just been fantastic for them. You know, the signing of J.J. Redick in the offseason, having Dario Saric, having uh, T.J. McConnell off the bench. It, it's just been great for them, and I'm happy that the 76ers have gotten back to that place where they're now maybe not contenders, but back into the playoffs. Trust the process, baby. Just got to trust the process. That's all yeah. it is. Now, the, the Sixers were the team that actually beat the Knicks tonight. Uh, I went to, to the Garden. The Knicks blew that lead late. No shocker there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Sixers look good. They currently sit in the number four seed. They are just behind elite teams like Toronto, Boston, and Cleveland. And the Sixers overall, 25-18 uh, and 18 conference record. So pretty impressive stuff. Um, more impressive stuff. A historic night for veteran center Dwight Howard against the Nets. Incredible performance for Dwight Howard. 32 points, 30 rebounds. 11 Sorry. off the offensive glass. It's crazy. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> Could be better. <laughs> Could be Listen, 40 and 30. It's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy, crazy night for Dwight Howard, and it's a, it's a historic night for him. It was a 
It was a great game, first off, because the Nets were actually competing in the game. It was it was close up until the final couple of minutes. And it's great for Dwight Howard. And, you know, when he was with Houston, he really didn't look like he was himself. And now that he's back, he's with Charlotte, he, he just looks back to like old Dwight Howard. And it's great to see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pretty well said. But keep in mind, he did pick up his 16th technical foul of the season last night. So he will have to sit out a game now. He is suspended. So, um, you know, one step forward, two steps back. Um, Not really ideal, but uh, the Charlotte Hornets did take care of the Brooklyn Nets last night. They beat them 111 to 105. And Dwight Howard and the Charlotte Hornets, um, they're not eliminated yet, but they're not far off as they are currently the 10th seed in the Eastern Conference. But they're 10-4. and in their division. It makes no sense. They just can't compete against the rest of the conference. It's incredible. It's incredible that Charlotte can't compete with uh, outside of their division because you're looking at the teams in the East right now. First time in a while, you see one through eight all over 500. Pretty good stuff for the Eastern Conference. Um, but transitioning over to the West, you know, you got teams like the Houston, Golden State, OKC, San Antonio. But the one team that has surprised everybody this year, in my opinion, is the Portland Trailblazers. The Trailblazers have actually had a very good year. That the talent was always there. It just needed to be it just needed to come to fruition, just be put together. Damian Lillard leading the charge. I am a huge Damian Lillard fan. That man gets little to no credit for the work that he does. He is I personally have him in like top five players of the league right now for me. I mean, I think that what he's doing with uh, C.J. McCollum out in Portland, I think they're doing a fantastic job. I think they're not like a legitimate force to be reckoned with like Houston or Golden State, but you can you cannot take Portland lightly. Imagine a Portland OKC or Portland New Orleans or San Antonio first-round matchup. It would be incredible it's with what they're doing right now. You're looking at teams like San Antonio, currently the sixth seed. Minnesota is down to the seven, 10 games over 500. And then Utah, all of a sudden, who seemed to be down in the dumps, they went on that double-digit game winning streak, and now they're nine games over 500, sitting in the eighth slot right now in the West. That really all goes down to the play of Donovan Mitchell. The rookie. Yeah. For the Utah Jazz. That man basically came out of nowhere and has been taking the league over, you know, keep competing in dunk contests and putting up insane shots and dunks. And the guy's a great player, and he really came out of nowhere, and he's been the spark for that Utah Jazz team that needed a spark, and it's been paying off, and now they're sitting there at the eighth seed. For the record, he did come out of the University of Louisville, but, uh, yeah, in terms of, like, just coming on his rookie season, pretty much out of nowhere, like Greg said, um, in Utah, you know, could potentially make some noise. Uh, and looking at the standings right now, uh, the Knicks and Nets have both been eliminated from postseason play. That's not shocking. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a surprise, but uh, I like what the what the Nets and uh, Kerry Atkinson are building. Kenny Atkinson are building over there in Brooklyn. They they've made some moves this past offseason to get D'Angelo Russell. And once they get their picks back, th- this will be a team to look out for. Now the Knicks, uh, I, I have no idea what their future holds. Whether Chris Stapps is even a part of the team. I mean, to come off an injury like that so late in the season, 
they, uh, there's a possibility he may not even come back till March next season. They, uh, I have no idea. Yeah, I, you know, I'd like to see Porzingis back. Um, hopefully by December or January, but um, you know, you don't want to rush him. He's just a young guy, just 22 years of age. Um, but looking at the standings right now, we'll start with the West since we were just discussing them. Then we'll get to the East. The way it looks right now, the Houston Rockets have won 57 games, guys. <laughs> 57 and 14 at the number one seed. And they've been so good, Golden State is currently sitting at the two. 53 and 18 record. And then you have Portland at number three, followed by OKC, New Orleans, San Antonio, Minnesota, and Utah. All of those teams, three through eight, are within four games of each other in yeah. the standings. It's, it's all going to come down to. Uh the last and final games of the season because teams like Minnesota possibly getting Jimmy Butler back. So I'm pretty sure at one point, maybe even a couple weeks ago, before Jimmy Butler got hurt, uh, Minnesota was the third seed in the West. Yeah. And uh, teams like San Antonio, you don't know if Kawhi is going to be back uh, before the playoffs. Uh, teams like New Orleans, Anthony Davis putting them on their back. OKC, you don't know the OKC that you're going to get. Everybody expected them to be one of those dominant forces in the West, but some nights uh, they just don't show up. Yep. Now, don't count out teams in the West like the Denver Nuggets or the Los Angeles Clippers. Those two teams have a legitimate shot to get in, but if the Clippers, after losing Blake Griffin to the Pistons, um, you know they're on the outside looking in right now. I don't know if there's a way that they can get in with how well you know, a lot of these teams like Utah and Minnesota and San Antonio have played as of late. San Antonio did just beat the shorthanded Golden State Warriors the other night. Now, looking at the Eastern Conference, surprisingly, Toronto has overtaken the throne as the number one seed, 53-19, and 19, uh, due to how strong Boston started this season. And Boston is the two, and Cleveland is down to the three, followed by the surprising Philadelphia 76ers at number four, and then five through eight, you have Indiana, Washington, Miami, and Milwaukee. And Kyle, I'll start with you here. The Miami Heat, uh, Dwayne Wade is back. I know you're a big fan of that and what the Heat have been doing. But they are somewhat on the bubble. I wouldn't necessarily say they have it just yet. They're pretty much guaranteed to make the playoffs, but it's not official as teams like Detroit and Charlotte technically still alive in the standings, do you think there's a team in the bottom half of the East that could potentially upset one of the top four? Yeah, I think uh, Miami, absolutely. I mean, with the status of Kyrie Irving uh, being unknown, how injured his quad really is, or knee, and just Toronto, just the history of Toronto being unsuccessful in the playoffs. They could have the best uh, season ever, and then when it comes to the playoffs, Kyle Lowry doesn't show up. So yeah, we'll see. I'm with you guys, really, where there's a lot of question marks with Boston and Toronto. Just because, like Kyle just said, you can't. the history of Toronto really isn't that successful. The Raptors have a great team. No one can deny that they have a fantastic team. Same thing with the Celtics. But the Celtics really run on Kyrie Irving. And if Kyrie ain't healthy, then that team is not going to succeed, despite all the great rookie play that they've had. Or in who else, whoever else they got right now with, you know Al Horford and whoever it may be that that team runs when Kyrie Irving is healthy. Yeah, I you can never sleep on the Cavaliers because really ever since the trade deadline they've been look like a different team. 
even though Tyron Lewis had to step away for medical reasons. I mean, let's be real. LeBron calls all the plays over there anyway. It's, this is all LeBron's team. So it doesn't matter who the coach is, who your general manager is. This is LeBron's team. He runs the team mm-hmm. how he wants to run it. I still – I'm, I'm not counting out Cleveland. You can never count out Cleveland. Really, the rest of the, the Eastern Conference, Philadelphia, they're still too young. They're not really proven. I don't really see them going too far in the playoffs. Indiana, really that's just Victor Oladipo and everybody else. The Wizards, nobody knows what you're going to get with them. Even though Dwayne Wade is back on Miami, I, there's just a lot of things going on in Miami that I just don't really trust. They're still going to get in, obviously, because, you know, there's a there's a five-game gap between the Bucks and the Pistons, and Detroit ain't getting in. So I think the way the Eastern Conference sits right now is really how it's going to play out. The Bucks, I really just don't trust because I think really, aside from Giannis and Eric Bledsoe, there's not really many other guys. Jabari Parker, I think, has personally underperformed a lot really since he got drafted. Even though he's dealt with health issues, but I think really even when he's healthy, he's really underperformed. And I think the Bucks are trying to trade him, if I'm not mistaken, at the moment, yeah, too. Yeah, they were trying to trade him at the uh, trade deadline. So, And there's still suitors out there that would love to have Jabari Parker. I think that really it, it's really just Cleveland and Toronto because I think really if Kyrie Irving isn't healthy, I don't trust Boston really going all the way. I have Boston and the Warriors at the beginning of the year as my finals prediction. But right now, the way it sits, I think the fact Toronto has been playing so well and they are working as a team, uh, I have more faith in them. And Cleveland in the playoffs, you can put them at any seed, and I think they'll still make a run. So I think I really have my money set on those two teams more than Boston right now. And speaking of which, our last portion of this segment will actually combine um, the Knicks and Nets into this. We already talked about the Nets, basically. The Heat beat the Knicks last night, 119-98. Uh, and a player on Miami who had a spectacular game, a couple of players, underrated guard and Tyler Johnson had 22 points. Uh, great outing for him, uh, the two-guard for Miami. And then Kelly Olynyk, career high, 10 assists in this game to go with his 22 points. And I saw online, on SportsCenter actually, that pass in between the legs of yeah. O'Quinn yeah. to Josh Richardson for yep. the flush. Yep. That was an incredible pass. Yep. Yep. Right through the five-hole. All about that court vision. Uh but not, but, no, but just not about those guys, uh, not just those guys. I mean, uh, Wayne Ellington, guy in the three-point competition, kind of underrated as yeah. a shooting guard in this league. He snipes threes. He he is such a good shooter from the three-point line. Very underrated. Same thing with Tyler Johnson. Sometimes he has bad nights, but most of the time he'll have these good games like he has. And Goran Dragic, the dragon, uh, he, he's just a great, great guy. Finally got recognized this year in the All-Star game and being an all-star. So uh, I think this Heat team could be one of those teams that could upset one of these top seeds. They could, but, you know, they beat up on the Knicks, and their top two guys right now, Ennis Cantor and Michael Beasley. Tim Hardaway has been underperforming as of late. Beasley had 22 last night, and Cantor, uh, 23 and 13 with a double-double. Uh, in, in terms of what you've gotten out of Ennis Cantor this year, you must be pretty happy if you're the Knicks. Uh, good signing for New York and on him. But other than that, the Knicks and Nets both lose last night. The Knicks will play the Timberwolves at home at the Garden tomorrow night, 7.30 p.m. start time, and the Nets will travel up to Toronto to play the Raptors. They'll also start at 7.30 p.m. Um, I guess it's a, it's, uh, 
kind of a crapshoot here, but who do you think finishes with the better record, the Knicks or the Nets? I had to the, pick one. I think the Nets will actually finish better. Really? Based on how uh, D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert, all those guys over there in Brooklyn perform, because the the Knicks just look like they, they just look terrible, Tom. They, they, they just look like they don't even look like they want to be there. They're god awful. There's such a bad. Are. I mean, there's there's nights when when I'm like I'll watch a game. I'll watch the next game. Like last night, I watched because I'm a big Heat fan. Th- there's nights where you could argue that Michael Beasley is your best player on the team, or or Trey Burke is the best player on the team, and that and that's a terrible, terrible thing to say. Not to take any, uh, not take anything away from their performances, but they're just a terrible, terrible team. Yeah. <laughs> you pretty much. It's, it pretty much sums it up. You really can't. You can't. Sums it up. You can't really, you know, say it better than that. I mean, that's really all it is. Trey Burke. And my favorite part about the Knicks game the other night was the way the PA announcer was pronouncing Emmanuel Moutier's last name. You know, there's something wrong if that's your favorite part about going to the Knicks game. Yep. So, uh, on that note, we're gonna step aside for another quick break. That'll do it. For NBA stuff, when we come back, we're going to talk some March Madness. Is your bracket busted? There are zero perfect brackets remaining. (laughs) You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org. Welcome back to Review and Preview. I am your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Greg Vavernick, Kyle Russo, John Wasserman on the board, Jay Was, they call him. Guys, it's currently 6-17. Yes, it is. <laughs> As we run our shows 5-7 to 7 on Thursdays, our call in number is 516-299-2030. Call in with your questions, comments, and this is our second podcast of the show. You can listen to us online at Pinecast, Apple Podcasts, slash iTunes, Google Play, and Pocket Casts. Very proud to get those up and running. Shout out to Chris Maffei, our production director here at WCWP. And a quick rundown of the show. So far, we've discussed MLB opening day, which will be coming next Thursday for both the Mets and the Yankees, NFL free agency and the NFL draft upcoming, the moves the Giants and the Jets have made, and we went over our teams of the week. And we also discussed a little NBA action with the Knicks and the Nets and the playoffs upcoming. Now, it is time for the madness to begin. And we're going to have a lot of fun with this, guys, because last week we were going over our brackets. And we made fun of Tommy Mack for putting Nevada in the Elite Eight. Yep. But realistically, they're the favorite to advance to the Elite Eight right now. Yep. So, oh, man. Unbelievable. But... Oh, go Let's, ahead, Greg. Well, let me I'll, let me uh, take a poll of the room here. Is anyone else finals matchup still intact? Not the matchup, no. But I st- I still got Duke in it. All right, because I only got Kansas. <laughs> let me guess. You have you have Virginia. Yeah. I don't even know what you have. You probably have like Wichita State in the finals. No, I had Michigan State. Oh, oh yeah, there you go. Michigan State, UNC in my finals. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, for me, I had Kansas and Virginia in really well. I got one half so far. You know, uh, originally, it looked like that the favorites of this tournament were the Virginia Cavaliers, but the University of Maryland, (laughs) Maryland, Baltimore County County wrote a different script. Unbelievable. And they were the first 16 seed 
to ever win an NCAA tournament game to upset a one. Um, incredible moment for the school, for the NCAA. Granted, Virginia was without their sixth man in the tournament, and they were down one player, but still, to do that to a team like Virginia, defensive-style-oriented, smash-mouth team, close games, for Virginia to go down like that, I hate to say it, it's kind of embarrassing. No, it's it's disgusting. Not only did they lose, but they got blown out by a team that nobody no, just like just like we tried to pronounce the name of UMBC. We address them by UMBC because we don't even know what it stands for, Tom. It's crazy that not only did they win, but they completely obliterated Virginia. The thing with Virginia is that I thought it would be something in their favor. Boy, was I wrong. Uh, the fact that Virginia, really, they're a slow-tempo team, and they're a very defensive-based team. You're really, if you are if you start out hot against a team like Virginia, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Yeah. Because, you know, Virginia just relies on their defense mm-hmm. at a very slow pace. Virginia's not a team that's going to, they play how they play. They're not going to try and, you know, play up-tempo like your opponent. They play the way they play, and... I mean, it's worked for them throughout the season because, you know, so many good teams come and go in the, in the ACC for Virginia. But really, when a team comes out hot like UMBC did, it's not too surprising that Virginia lost because Virginia only plays one way. They're a one-trick pony. Right. It's either their way or that's it. And it really just its proven true because now – it's them losing screwed up my whole bracket. Like Kyle right now, he's got a giant red X all over the south region of his bracket, just because. Really, I mean, I, I mean, all, for my bracket too, I had almost every matchup wrong. Only ones I was really able to get right was Kentucky getting this far. When I even had them, actually, my mistake. I had I had them losing in the first round, so I just got to bite my tongue there. Well. To be fair, there were a lot of upsets in that bracket. Buffalo, their first NCAA tournament win, beating Arizona, a popular Final Four pick this year to come out of the South. Um, you also notice how their two lottery pick uh, players immediately when they lost were like, all right, I'm going to the draft. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> right when they lost, they're like, all right, I'm going to the draft. That's crazy. And then don't forget Thursday, Loyola Chicago over Miami. Um, so a lot of upsets on day one. And I'll be honest, I was perfect until the, I forget what game it was. I think it was. Oh, you it, said it was the NC State It was State the game. Seton Hall NC yeah, State yep. game, and I switched it last second too. Um, but overall, the South region, those were three major upsets. Um, not really any upsets in the West. Uh, the East, I mean, Butler over Arkansas, I really wouldn't view that as an upset. Um, Marshall over Wichita State was the major upset in that region. Other than that, none of really note so far. Um, in the Midwest, Syracuse advancing to the Sweet 16 has been surprising. To be honest, Jim Beheim is the king of March Madness. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about it last week on... Uh the show, Tom, and then we were saying, how does a team like Syracuse even get in when this team's like uh, Oklahoma State and Notre Dame? And now, and now they're sitting here in the Sweet 16. And listen, I have Duke to win the entire thing, but this isn't a sure-fire sure win right now for Duke. I mean, this they is, did to Michigan State on Sunday this afternoon. 
I don't think Michigan State in the last uh, last six minutes of the game. I don't think they had one field goal. I don't think they made one basket in the last six minutes. I think you know, they said it's it's a curse what, picking Michigan State because what, they were my pick to win. Listen, I after after they lost to Middle Tennessee a couple of years back, I didn't want to pick them to advance this year, but uh, I just did it based on Miles Bridges and uh, Jaron Jackson and how they've been performing. But yeah. obviously, I was wrong there. But Syracuse and Jim Beheim. I mean, if they beat a team like Duke, Tom, I mean. They play Kansas eventually, and then they can make it to the Final Four. Hey, that, that's what's crazy about this thing. I don't think you want to say that again in front of Greg, them beating the Jayhawks, but they got to get past Duke first. But they one other thing Duke. I will admit, Syracuse, pretty sure they went from the first four to the Final Four one, one, yeah, one year did. before. They uh-huh. made it as a double-digit C. They made it as a 10, Yeah, I believe, uh, a 10 or 11. But they are an 11 right now. And they are in the Sweet 16. There's always that one team from the first four who advances. So we'll see what happens there. Now, uh, another player. We talk about players declaring for the draft. Oklahoma's Trey Young led the nation in scoring this year. He declares for the draft. Oh, Jesus. 27 points a game. Yeah. Bust. You think? Yeah. Hell yeah. He screams yeah. it. Just like Buddy Yield. He screams it. He is Oklahoma going guys. to be he, that, exactly. a bust. He screams it. It's just like... The first half of the year is we'll put him on the map, and then this whole second half of the year he was just underperforming. Like he was the reason. Yeah. He was the reason why they were in games, and he was the reason why they were losing them because he was just taking some ridiculous Steph Curry like shots that was just it was embarrassing. He just he, he chucks up whatever he wants to throw up. It's really there's no there's he's not like a player. He's just a shooter that tries to be like Steph Curry in college, and it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Curry is a unique talent where he can afford to shoot like that because he practices his ass off in the gym right. for shots like that. Yeah, This is just an 18-year-old whatever from wherever he came from that's trying to emulate Steph Curry. Sure, you put up you know 27 points a game and you led the country in scoring per game, but... When you shoot as much as he does, he's, it's bound he, to happen. He shoots like Russell Westbrook, yeah, basically. Exactly. And he's just so raw. There's no where, how do you develop a guy like that? You can't really develop someone mm-hmm. like that when all you have is like like a, just a free range shooter that'll chuck up anything yeah. and hope to God it goes in. It yeah. doesn't and work I, like that. And I hate to uh, all you Nick fans out there listening, and then you too, Tom, because I know you're a Nick fan. Uh, it was an article that was uh, published today saying. Uh, Trey Young's comments on possibly being drafted by the Knicks. He said he'd be a blessing in disguise. He would love to be a part of the New York Knicks organization. So, just to put that out there. I hope I hope to God that was just some basic PR, just to save face, because really, if you want to be a Nick, I think that made every Nick <laughs> fan I think that made every Nick fan want to cringe. Now, realistically here, Trey Young is a very raw and uncut type of player. So, to see that transition to the next level Definitely. I mean, kid, go back to school. Yeah. Like, we're working on your game a little more. Like, there's too many guys. Just a little more. So, like, so many Kentucky guys do it, and then they become nobodies in the league. There's very – I mean, a lot of Kentucky guys have been successful, but also a lot that have not been successful. Like, look at Marcus Teague, you know, Teron Lamb. Where are they now? They're not in the league. Yeah. He needs to develop a more consistent shot instead of just taking random shots and hope yeah. they go in. Um, so, now – I have a question for you guys. So far, I want each of you to answer this. Name your team of the tournament two rounds in, if you had to pick one right now. 
Who Syracuse. Syracuse. I mean, to to get past Michigan State the way they did, held them to no baskets in the final six minutes of the game, that, that's huge. I mean, they were a team that people had winning the entire tournament. For them to get knocked out in the 32, I mean, uh, that's, again, embarrassing. And Syracuse, Jim Behan, all the credit to them. Uh, I mean, really, that's – I'll probably have to go Syracuse. I mean, I mean, for me, really, I think it's – Really, that's the only route really to go because no other team has really came out and shocked you, except maybe maybe Texas A and M, because you know Providence had a decent following. We're expected to do pretty well in an upstate Texas A and M, and then Texas A and M and goes out and then lays a whooping on UNC. Yeah. Aside from really, those are the only two teams that I could see. Oh, can't forget about uh, Loyola Chicago. And that's my team of the tournament so far. There yeah. you go. Loyola Chicago. 11 and, uh, seed upsetting Miami and then Tennessee. Yeah. And now that because Arizona, because Tennessee, because Cincinnati, because Virginia all lost, this is really an open, open side right now in the South where you could see Loyola Chicago, if they get past Nevada, I mean, this could be a team that's in the Final Four. The way yeah. they're playing. No, you're right. Now, you know, the Sweet 16 does start tonight. But before we preview, let's review what we have done. Our original Final Fours. I'll start with mine. Uh, three out of the four are already out. I had Arizona coming out of the South. I had UNC coming out of the West. Michigan State coming out of the Midwest. And I had Villanova coming out of the East. Um, and I pretty much think Villanova, if they get past West Virginia, I think they're guaranteed to come out of the East, especially with the injury to Isaac Haas for Purdue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only threat that I could potentially see is Texas Tech if they get past Purdue, which I don't yeah. know if they will. They might. Uh, you might see a Villanova-Texas Tech Elite Eight matchup. Um, but if you get past West Virginia, I think they're pretty much guaranteed to make the four. If you ask me, yeah. For me, I have um, I had Virginia coming out of the South. I had UNC out of the West. Nope. But the East and Midwest picks for me are still going strong because I got Villanova and Kansas. And um, I have I still had, I had Kansas winning the whole thing, and uh, so far I'm looking pretty good with that. But um, yeah, I had Virginia in the finals, but that's not happening. Yeah, out of the south for me, I had Virginia also. In the west, I had Gonzaga. In the east, I had Villanova. And in the midwest, I have Duke. And I, for my final matchup, the national championship, I have Virginia versus Duke, which obviously will not happen. But I have Duke winning the tournament anyway. So your pick is still in? Your pick is still in? My pick is not still in. Yep. And now, just to recap that before we go to break here, um, we also discussed the first one seed to bow out of the NCAA tournament, and we all said Xavier will be the first one seed to go out in the Sweet 16 against Gonzaga. Yes, but they did, did not even get to the Sweet 16. Two one seeds did not even make it past the round of 32. Yep. So that leads me to ask you this. We all picked Xavier. But who would have thought Virginia would be the first one seed out? Tom, not in a million years. That's why no, no brackets since Virginia lost have been all busted. 
because nobody could have predicted the upset that UMBC brought to Virginia, especially by that magnitude. Greg? I mean, Kyle basically took the words right out of my mouth, yeah. so I really got nothing else for you. Well, here's the thing. Florida State, they just took away what Xavier was able to do. J.P. Makura fouled out of the game down the stretch and was not able to stay on the floor. Just goes to show you that the Seminoles are having a good run as well, a nine seed in the Sweet 16. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't have the Seminoles in my Sweet 16. Let's see. I Honestly, Tom, I had, this, I had Florida State losing in the first round to Missouri. Same. Yeah, I wanted to see – I picked Missouri because I wanted to see Michael Porter Jr. a little more. I think Greg had 32. Yeah, but, I had Florida State losing to Xavier. So we were all pretty much wrong there. At least Greg had them advancing one round. Yeah, but um, – we reviewed a lot of our brackets, and you know a lot of top seeds: Auburn gone, Michigan gone, Michigan State gone. Excuse me, UNC gone, Houston gone, Xavier, Virginia, Tennessee, Arizona, Cincinnati, Wichita State, Florida, all gone. Wow, what a first weekend of the NCAA tournament! March my, Madness. My buddies over at uh, Wichita State, they're uh, they're not too happy, to say the least. There. They were not happy. It was basically like a depression on that campus. Feel bad for those guys. Only seven. This includes all four one to four seeds. Only seven of those teams remain. Nine of those teams have been eliminated in the first weekend. That that's it's it's all part of this is the year of the underdog, if you ask me. There's so many upsets. It's upsets and there's so many, you know. Higher seeded teams still in the fact that you have two 11 seeds still in the NCAA tournament is incredible. But when we come back, we are going to preview the Sweet 16 and make our picks for those games. Talk more about tomorrow's games and our updated updated brackets and Final Fours. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWP Sports. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I am your host, Tom Scavetta. Greg Vavernick rejoins us here on the show tonight. Kyle Russo here. No Tommy Mack, but we do have John Wasserman on the board. Jay Wass on the show once a month. And playing that uh, Kygo for us there. Uh, or the Hey Ya, excuse me. I I apologize. Oh, oh my goodness. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Tommy, this is what happens when you don't show up, my guy. We have... This guy confuses outcast for Kygo. I mean, we miss you, buddy. Yeah, Greg. I thought yo, I was going to see you today. He keeps me in check. Huh. <laughs> I think you need more than just him. Oh, boy. <laughs> Look at that. Let's preview March Madness. Um, and, folks, if you're just tuning in now, where have you been? You've missed a lot, and we are now podcasting. This is our second podcast of Review and Preview, and uh, very excited to share it with you all. On Pinecast, Apple Podcasts, slash iTunes, Google Play, and Pocket Casts. So you can go on one of those websites, type in Review and Preview, and you can find us and listen. If you can't tune in live, or if you can, you're hearing us now. All right, enough of that. Let's preview tonight's games in the NCAA tournament. We just reviewed over. All of our brackets are shot, pretty much. Um, Let's restart. How about that? There are 16 teams remaining in the NCAA tournament, and let's start with tonight's first game, Loyola-Chicago versus Nevada. Nevada 
one of the only two teams remaining on the West Coast. Just them and Gonzaga left. And, man, Eric Musselman has this team doing some stuff. They pulled that game out against Cincinnati after being down. They left it all out on the court against the Bearcats, and they took a team who only lost four games all season and advanced to the Sweet 16. Incredible run for both of these two teams playing in Game 1 tonight. Incredible. Yep. Uh, in this game tonight, uh, I think Loyola is going to pull it out. I'm, I'm rooting for uh, Clayton Custer and those boys in uh, Chicago. Uh, I just I just feel like they, they got a mojo. They're on a high right now, and they, they'd be, they're going to advance. Greg? For tonight, I think uh, I I think Loyola is honestly going to pull it out. I think that I mean I really don't trust Nevada too much. I mean they're a great team, you know, to beat Texas, which was kind of expected, and then to you know upset a team like Cincinnati, who I actually had going to the Elite Eight. You know, I think that you know they're a team to be reckoned with, but I think really Loyola Chicago is, you know, just on that bit of a streak right now. And I think that this is really, you know, I think they're going to ride that momentum. Loyola Chicago's only lost five games all year. They've won 30 games. So, bravo to them. I'm going to go with Loyola Chicago as well. I know Tommy has Nevada, and when Nevada ends up winning tonight, he's going to be here next week like, I told you so, Tom. But, uh, you know, I'm going with Loyola Chicago clean sweep that means Nevada's going to win that's usually how it goes on this show when of we course. all agree yep. the other team wins of course yep. right John so uh, <laughs> so we all have Loyola Chicago for game one game two a little more interesting Texas A&M and Michigan believe it or not when these teams were reseeded Michigan came in as a three seed they are the highest seed remaining in their region but when the teams are reseeded they were one of the lowest teams reseeded. I think it's also just the fact really, you know, who's left and just how their teams are constructed. I I, th- I mean, I've been rooting for Kansas and Kansas is like like the lower middle of the pack really if you were to reseed the teams. So, I mean, realistically, I don't look too much into this whole reseeding thing because the teams are what they are. Right. Like this, they're a 3 seed for a reason. Mm-hmm. A&M's a 7 seed for a reason. These seeds mean nothing. I mean, for me, what uh, what region are we looking at? I mean, I have Michigan. Currently looking at the West, West region. region. Mid- okay. <laughs> Midwest. There we go. Yep. So, I mean, I have Michigan and Texas A&M. Not really going far, to be quite frank. So... But they're here now. They're here now. <laughs> and I personally, just because it's, you know, it's Michigan, and when you come in as a 3C, I feel like you kind of earn that right. Right. So I personally, I'm taking Michigan. Yeah, Same. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go with Michigan. Oh, too. boy. Clean yeah. sweep again. You, Tom, know, what, you I, know what that I means? I am in the 16. A&M's they're going to lose again. A&M's going to win. Brooms. Michigan's going to lose. Right, John? Just get the brooms, baby. It's <laughs> <laughs> clean. <laughs> oh, man. Man, John makes my night on the board. Wow. All right. So we have clean sweeps. John, how many nights have you done uh, the board for this show now? Since I haven't been here in a couple months. Probably like two or three. It's probably my third. All right. I'd like to be here like once a month. Okay. Yeah. got to come by more often, man. Yeah. You, you give try. this kid some more life over yeah. here. John, <laughs> John's a funny guy. You know, we've had mm-hmm. the fresh taco talks. You know, we've talked oh, yeah. about a uh, great place in New Rochelle. Yeah. Moving forward from that, <laughs> um, I had to go there. Kansas State plays Kentucky. 
in the South region. And Kansas State, you know, led by Dean Wade, uh, really a coin flip game against Creighton. I think they were slightly favored in that game. Wade being healthy definitely played a factor, the junior forward. And then UNBC was just lucky to be in the round of 32. Kansas State, you know, they took care of them down the stretch. And Kentucky, who kind of benefited by Buffalo upsetting Arizona. And then they beat Buffalo. And Kentucky and Kansas State play tonight. They are the third game to play. Who do you guys have in this one? For Kansas State and Kentucky? Yep. Honestly, I have not been uh, big on Kentucky from the very outset. I honestly thought they were one of the teams just because they don't really stack up too well offensively with really anybody. But, you know, Kentucky, you know, Kyle Parry, something about Kentucky in the tournament, it's, you know, something about them. They just turn it on sometimes in the tournament, and I just don't get it. I want to pick Kentucky, but, I mean, when I when, when I had them losing to Davidson in the 5-12 upset in the very first round, that shows the amount of trust I have. And Kansas is honestly – Kansas State, I – had them beating Creighton and then losing to Virginia. So it's not like I mean it's not like I really had a lot of trust in either of these teams to begin with. But I think Kentucky right. has been on they've been surprising some people and I think that, you know, I think they're gonna keep going a little bit. I think they got one more good game left in them. You think Kentucky's got it? I think so. Kyle? For the sake of the show, Tom, I- I'm going to go with Kansas State tonight. Be careful. You're a former intern here in the sports yeah. department. <laughs> I'm going I'm to go with Kansas, Kansas State tonight. Kansas State, wow. I'm just going to pick them. I mean, they played very, very, very well. Offensively, they've been, they've been successful. Defensively, they've been successful in clutch timing, especially against this uh, UMBC team, who they almost lost to in the closing minutes of the game. They performed very, very well under pressure, and I feel like they're going to pull this one out tonight against Kentucky. I've got Kentucky. Okay. Um, they're the five seed in the Sweet 16. They're the yeah. highest remaining seed yeah. in their bracket. It's crazy. So I'm going to go with Kentucky to advance to the Elite Eight to play Loyola Chicago. Now, that is not a sweep, so let it be known that we're not going to completely get this pick wrong. Yep. Yep. All right. So I guess we're now, so far, one for three. Potentially, <laughs> it's our poten- first game that's not a sweep. Potentially one for All three. Right. Now, this is where it gets interesting. The Gonzaga Bulldogs against the Florida State Seminoles tonight. Who do you guys got? Gonzaga. Gonzaga. I love Gonzaga. Gonzaga. Clean, yep. clean sweep. Seminoles. So that means Florida State is going to win. Oh, don't do the chopper. Reminds me of the Atlanta Braves. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know, baseball season is right around the corner. Yeah, exactly. There you go. I-, I had to give you a little refresher there that we're approaching. That was one refresher I did not need. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you, you got it, Greg. So yeah, we got no, the clean again, sweep no with Gonzaga. Those are the four games happening tonight. Uh, all right. So we have Gonzaga playing Michigan in the Elite Eight. So that should be an interesting matchup as well. Now, tomorrow, it starts off with Clemson and Kansas. And, Greg, the Jayhawks are your team. Let's start with them. By the way, the Quakers were up. In the round of 64 for quite some time. Yeah. The uh, Greg Vavernick household must have not been uh, very pleasant. You mean the Greg Vavernick room? My, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't really need to get too in-depth with this. I had the Jayhawks winning. Rock Chalk. I got the Jayhawks. I mean, I really don't have too much more of an explanation really to give. I have them winning the whole thing. I got to go with my pick. Kyle? Yeah, uh, Kansas. Uh, they, they just have better players offensively, defensively. Devontae Graham, uh, 
who else? Devontae Graham and um, what's his name? Malik Newman. Yeah. They just they just perform at a high level offensively, and I don't think that Clemson is going to be able to contain them. Right. Um, guys, I got Clemson. Oh, look at that. that that's uh, that's that boy, be very for, interesting. Boy, for the that sake of the show, I have Clemson. Oh, the, um, I do think Kansas will win, but I'm going to be pulling for Clemson in this game right. to represent the ACC. I would like to see an ACC-ACC elite matchup. I think it would be good for ratings. And I don't know. I mean, a Duke-Kansas matchup would be a dream matchup for this region. It could very well happen. But I'm going to go with Clemson. So that may save you, actually, since that's not a clean sweep. You see what I did there? Okay. I like that. (laughs) All right, moving on. Uh, The other game in the Midwest region, Syracuse and Duke. And this is actually, I think this is going to be an interesting pick here. Syracuse, a team that was the last team in of the NCAA tournament. They would have been... The second-to-last team in, but Davidson won. That knocked the Irish out. Let's not talk about that. Um, (laughs) Syracuse, the final team in the NCAA tournament. They win the play-in game against Arizona State. They beat TCU, and then they slaughter Michigan State. Not slaughter, but they beat them pretty good. They're they're 3-0 in this tournament this year. The luck that Jim Beheim has, it's kind of starting to think that this Duke-Syracuse game is pretty even. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I am going to uh, pick Syracuse. I think that Syracuse is going to beat Duke, and I am totally kidding because I have Duke in the Elite Eight, so I'm going to go with Duke. <laughs> I have Duke winning the entire tournament, so I'm going to have to go with Duke here. I think that offensively, Marvin Bagley, uh, Wendell Carter Jr., Trayvon Duvall, Grayson Allen, senior there, they're just too offensively high-powered. Trent, yeah. yeah, Trent. Um Dolezage for Syracuse fouled out around two to three minutes left in the game against Michigan State, and I think he's got a good shot of doing that again. I just think Marvin Bagley, Duke's going to pound it inside. They're going to shoot the three. They come at you at so many different angles offensively. Uh, I've got Duke in this game. You know, the hometown New Yorker part of me wants to pick Syracuse, but Grayson Allen is on a mission to do it. He's, Just Grayson Allen? He, well, the whole Duke team is kind of on a mission okay. there. <laughs> okay. As Grayson Allen won the NCAA tournament as a member of Duke in his freshman year. Yeah. Imagine if he could do it again in his senior year. You know, you start how you finish, you finish how you start. Not just him, but like for most of these one-and-done guys, it'd yeah. just be huge going into the draft with this winning attitude. And don't forget Duke, surprising freshman off the bench, a lot of underrated guys. Alex O'Connell off the bench, he can come in and hit a three as well. Yeah. Um, so we'll see, but we all have Duke. And the last game of the Elite Eight, actually two more, Texas Tech and Purdue. Now, Purdue is without their big man center, Isaac Haas. Now, this leaves me to ask, does, per- does Purdue survive this game against Texas Tech? I mean, they looked pretty impressive against Florida. I don't think they do, Tom. Uh, I think Isaac Haas is, is huge. A uh, seven-footer, 250-plus pounds in the middle. For every guard on Texas Tech to be running through that, I, I just without him there, Isaac Haas, I, I think it's just too much. I mean, they almost lost to Butler in the closing minutes. If they we, did. Uh, yeah, remember they barely pulled that one out. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it against Texas Tech. Yeah, I think the loss of Haas is too big. I have, I, I mean, I had Purdue moving on in this game, but 
you know, with Haas not being there, I'm really starting to put this game in question. I want to pick Purdue, but I think the loss of Haas is, is going to be too big. Agreed. If Haas plays, I pick Purdue to win this game, but Haas is not in the lineup. Therefore, I think Texas Tech comes away with this. And, John, you know what that means. We all pick Texas Tech. That means Purdue is going to win. So <laughs> so we have Texas Tech advancing to the Elite Eight. All the same to me, man. Yeah. You know, out, he's, just, he's, just there. he's just here to push the buttons, man. All right. Yeah. <laughs> got to get you involved somehow. All right. Villanova, West Virginia, the final game of the Sweet 16. This is going to be a good game. I mean, Villanova is, in my opinion, should have been the number one team in the tournament um, over Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Virginia Villanova is they're like such a great offense that they could yeah. score as much as they want. Yeah. Um, I think I have them in my final four. I have Villanova. Yeah, I have Villanova too. I have them in my final four. I so. have Villanova as well. So, with that being said, we picked our um, picks for the Sweet 16. Um, and with the updated brackets, let's pick our final four for the updated brackets. Obvi- obviously, the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight will happen this weekend. But um, I'll start with uh, myself here. I really, really, truthfully think that Loyola Chicago has a shot to make the final four. Yep. Uh, same thing. Honestly, I, I, I yeah. think they have a very legitimate chance. I don't think <clears throat> it's so this it's so wide open. I think Kentucky is too young as always. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think Loyola Chicago is going to come out of the South. Yeah, I completely agree because usually you see with these Kentucky teams in the past, they always have that one guy. Yeah. That you know is like that slam dunk number one pick. Yeah, yeah. Towns. Like and, Towns, you know, Anthony Davis. And that's not the case this they'd year. Have, they don't have anyone like that. Yeah. It's just a group of freshmen that are just there and doing their thing. Just a group of guys, really. Yeah. There's no, I don't really see a team aspect to it. It's really just a bunch of dudes just like playing basketball. And I, I think really just about the fact that Virginia's not even there. It's just it's such an open side of the bracket. You can make a case for it for any one of these teams. Yeah, like it. Um, it's, really, it's so wide open. It's probably one of the most wide open tournaments sections in a region where it's absolutely so wide open. I mean, Tom, I think I'm pretty sure you said it before. The the one seed, the two seed, the three seed, the four seed, the five seed, they're all out. I'll, excuse me, the five seed, Kentucky, they're still in. But the six seed Miami, they're all out. All these top seeds, and there's, it's so wide open for any team to really come around and just win the, win that division. Honestly, this is anyone's game. This is anyone's game at this point. I think, with the exception of Purdue, and I hate I hate to put it that way, but I yeah. think anybody can win the tournament besides Purdue at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have Loyola Chicago in my Final Four. I have Gonzaga coming out of the West representing the West in the Final Four, back-to-back years in the Final Four. Um, in the Midwest, I have Duke. I would love to see a Duke-Kansas Elite Eight matchup. Oh, that would be, That'd be nice. Good, that would yep. be such a good game. Just saying, do not sleep on Syracuse. Not you, gonna. You cannot sleep on them, but, you know, I I just think that when you put, a, put them up against a team like Duke, it's just it's too many. There's such a big difference. I think yeah. it'll be Duke or Kansas, but... I'm going to pick Duke out of the Midwest. And in the East, Villanova. There's, Villanova is honestly, it does, like, this Purdue and Texas Tech game, despite the injury to Haas, it's still going to be a good game. 
But, you know, I think it's really just being set up for, you know, Villanova to come in and just wipe the floor with them because Villanova is just too good offensively for anybody. Yeah. So to recap my final four, I have Villanova, Loyola, Chicago, Gonzaga, and Duke. Greg? For me, I got Villanova and Kansas to make it in there. Um, I'm actually going to stick with you. Uh, with Gonzaga because something about Gonzaga is one of those teams that always, no matter what seed they are, they always make a big run in the tournament. And I think this is another year they make that big push. Um, so I'm going to go Gonzaga, Kansas, Villanova. And out of that wild, wild south, I'm going to go Kansas State. There's just something about Kansas State, man. I just really like the way they play. Uh, for me in the south, I'm, I'm going to go with Loyola Chicago. And in my West, I'm going to go with Gonzaga, East Villanova, and I got to stick with Duke in the Midwest. And uh, for the championship, Gonzaga versus Duke for me. Wow. Yeah. You know, realistically, there's one team that's going to surprise us and make the Final Four. You already know. Like maybe somebody like a Clemson or a Florida State. You know, I just hope a team, not Clemson. A team that comes out of nowhere. Um, but. You know, you'll have to wait till tomorrow, Greg, to see if Kansas can "quote unquote" survive and advance. That's now, right. at at this time, uh, my final four. I'm going to pick the national championship game: um, Villanova and Gonzaga, and Villanova comes out victorious. Um, I will always live and die with my Jayhawks. I will have the Jayhawks in the finals, taking on. Gonzaga, and I will have Kansas winning. We're going to go rock chalk all the way to the finals, and we're going to see a trophy being raised. Kyle? And for me, it's it's Gonzaga versus Duke, and Duke winning the tournament. All right. So now we all have our picks in, our updated brackets, Final Fours, repicking the teams from the Sweet 16, and that Loyola-Chicago-Nevada game starts in just about 12 minutes. Yeah. So, realistically, the tournament is on. Get the app on your phone, March Madness Live, if you don't have it. And five minutes, let's save everything that we've talked about tonight on the show. And there was actually, Kyle, some breaking news that happened during the show. And you'd like to bring that up for us? Yeah, uh, Mike Wallace, who was a receiver for the Baltimore Ravens last season, uh, just signed with the Philadelphia Eagles one year, $2.5 million. So the rich continue to get richer. They just, they, they continue win the Super Bowl and just have one of the best free agencies in the league. And it's, it's truly incredible what the GM over there in Philadelphia has been able to do. It's, it's so crazy. You look at their team. There's not a big, there's not really many big stars. Yeah. But they're such a good team. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's like as long as you have the team and not the stars, you can still do so well. Right. Yeah. It's unbelievable what the Eagles have been able to do. Much to the dismay, I'm sure, of you Giant fans. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's another depth move. And I think when you have guys like Alshon Jeffrey and I think Torrey Smith is still there. Well, Torrey right? Smith no. was traded. They traded, Torrey, was traded to the Carolina Smith Panthers. Is, yep, See, they did the trade now. So he, he would, this guy would presumably come and be the number two. Yeah, be another b- big uh, deep threat that uh, Carson Wentz or Nick Foles, whoever the quarterback is going to be for the beginning of the season, is probably going to be Nick Foles. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's going to be 
another big target for Foles and Wentz to to work with since Torrey Smith isn't there. Yep. And it's really just you know plug and pull, and it, that's I mean it's, it could be a good move. I'm now, not expecting much, but it could yeah, work. And the Eagles also really have focused on their defense this offseason as well, getting Haloti Nada, the one-year deal, uh, the trade with Michael Bennett from Seattle, and then don't forget about Nigel Bradham re-signing the five-year $40 million contract. Corey Nelson and Daryl Worley are back. And one other signing we forgot to bring up tonight was Morgan Burnett signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's one signing that we just missed and got overlooked, and that was a three-year, $14.5 million deal. Steelers loving to bring those linebackers. Yeah. Well, it's a very, very underrated signing, I believe, because Morgan Burnett, even though he's an older player, he was probably one of the Green Bay's best defensive players last season and probably the season before that. And yeah. he could bring a lot of talent there to Pittsburgh, especially after letting go of Mike Mitchell at the safety position, put in Morgan Burnett in that safety position, and he could add to that uh, Pittsburgh Steelers defense. Yeah, agreed. Um, all right, guys, any final thoughts before we close out the show? Any final thoughts for uh, March Madness NFL opening day next week? Rock Chalk Jayhawk for March Madness. Let's go, Mets. I cannot wait for Thursday. Yeah. Uh, Big Blue, Saquon Barkley. I don't care what you do. Big Blue, choose Saquon. That's, that's all you got to do. Choose Saquon. And John Wasserman here on the board will be back with us next month as we enjoy having you on the show once a month. The monthly time. <laughs> monthly time. Time of the month again. John Wasserman <laughs> actually has his own pod, <laughs> has his own podcast now mm-hmm. called Take No, and that's the name of his podcast, and mm-hmm. he's been working on that. Teaser will be coming out soon. Yeah. I like it. All right. So, yeah, let's go Mets, you know, Giants and Jets NFL draft coming up soon. All right. Let's not waste any more time. Get ready for Nevada and Loyola, Chicago, tipping off at 7.07 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. All right, folks, I'm Tom Scavetta. On behalf of Kyle Russo, Greg Vavernick, and John Wasserman, you've been listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org. Like what you hear? Here's how you can let us know. Give us a call at 516-299-2626 or email us at info at wcwp.org. Like us at facebook.com slash mywcwp and leave a comment or tweet us at mywcwp. We welcome all kinds of feedback. To directly support the podcast you just enjoyed, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to give back, visit WCWP.org and click the support tab. Thanks for listening from your friends at WCWP.